Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Maybe you remember Joey Coleman. He was on this show last winter when I drove to Hamilton, Ontario to record a live panel from the public library about the death of local news coverage. What's been happening in Hamilton has been happening everywhere, in medium and small cities and towns across Canada. Nobody is keeping watch on City Hall. Journalists are increasingly absent from city council meetings, from committees, from like the day-to-day business of holding local governments to account. The money for that kind of daily grind news coverage is disappearing. But Joey Coleman, as you may recall, was working on a new way of doing this. He was crowdfunding his site, The Public Record, a one-man newsroom. And it was starting to work. He was close to sustainability. And I was hopeful that his model would succeed and that it would scale. Imagine, I wondered optimistically, if every city and town in Canada could have a Joey Coleman. That's why I was so sad to hear the news a few months ago that even Hamilton doesn't have a Joey Coleman anymore. Joey has shut down the public record after an ugly physical confrontation with a Hamilton city councillor named Lloyd Ferguson. In a moment, Joey is going to tell you exactly what happened. I also asked Lloyd Ferguson to do so, but he hasn't gotten back to me. And look, full disclosure, I have been a public supporter of Joey's. I helped fund the public record. He helps fund Canada Land. 
I make no claim of objectivity here on this story, but my offer to Counselor Lloyd Ferguson of a fair forum to tell his side of things is a genuine offer. And if he ever wants to take me up on it, have his say, you will hear from him too. For now, I'll be back with Joy Coleman in just a minute. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Andrew Fleming, Toast Crust, Michael, Rachel Forrestal, Hayden Mower, Stuart Rankin, MK, Shiona Burns, and Ainsley Merck. Ainsley, why did you decide to be awesome? Call me a scientist, but I need critique. If that's not a reason to fund this uh, mandate, I don't know. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. What is? This episode is also brought to you by a brand new sponsor for CanadaLand, Giftogram. I'm really excited about Giftogram. If you're anything like me, then the holiday season shopping for gifts is just a remarkable pain in the ass. It is a huge time suck. It is not one chore. It is like a series of chores. It's just like after working on weekends again and again until you knock off everybody on your gift list. Some people pretend that this is fun for them. They're all lying. It's not a fun part of life. You just want to get this done. It's wonderful to give gifts. It's a beautiful part of life. It's nice to receive them too, but why not make your life a lot easier and use this thing? I've used it and and it's three clicks. It's one click to download Giftogram onto your uh, your iOS device. Android's coming later this month. And step two is finding a gift. And they've made this so easy because, like, the way retail is set up is so hard. It's broken. They want you to go – like, you want mittens at the $40 price point. you got to go to 10 different stores to find the ones you want. They're always trying to upsell you or sell you different things. No. You go on Giftogram. You say how much you want to spend. And they've curated the best stuff 
for you to send. It takes just a few seconds. And I asked Jason, the founder of Giftogram, how they actually come to decide what to offer. Do they just eat box after box of macarons and chocolates until they find the best one in town? That does happen. I have a bit of a sweet tooth and there's always new cookies or macarons or something, ice cream sandwiches. There's a lot of perishables and food that seems to cycle through our office. Okay, then comes step three. You send your gift. And sending your gift is also one click. You don't have to enter in the whole shipping address of the person you want to send the gift to. It just imports your contacts, and you select the person that you want to send the gift to, and they get a nice text message from you right then saying that you've bought them a gift, and they enter in the address. And that's great because maybe they don't want it sent to their house. Maybe they want it sent to their office where they're actually there to receive it. It's up to them. I've gone through the whole process. They say it takes three to five days for a gift to arrive. The gift that I sent arrived two days later. Giftogram will ship a gift anywhere in this country, and this part you're going to want to listen to. Listeners of this podcast, enter the gift code CANADALAND into Giftogram, and they will give you $20 towards your first purchase. Think about that. That is like $20 cash. You can go download Giftogram and give a $21 gift, and it will cost you $1. That is how confident they are that you're going to use this thing again. Giftogram, the app is in the iTunes store. Go check it out. Um, The chair of the Accountability and Transparency Committee, Councillor Lloyd Ferguson, felt that I was on fairly targeting his committee that it was not the most important of all these committees and that I was targeting it merely because of its name. How did he express this displeasure? Um, He would often express it in the hallways of City Hall, often express it that I was covering too many meetings. This was a clerk complaint from the city clerks that they couldn't have any public meetings without me there with the camera, and it made them uncomfortable. At the meeting of the Transparency and Accountability Committee. Yes, and council. And And you're there with the camera. What, like, were you live streaming this to your audience? Yeah, I was live streaming this uh, committee. Now, this committee had become a bit of a mockery in that it was uh, only meeting once or twice a year. In 2007, it was formed, and its 2007 goal was to institute a lobbyist registry. We're now in 2012, and they still haven't done it. They're still debating if they're going to do it. This is the moment where the conflict started. It was late March 2012. They had a meeting, and they passed what we called a gag bylaw. And basically, the gag bylaw said that if a complaint was made about a counselor and the media learned of the complaint, no matter how they learned of it, the complaint would be immediately dismissed and deemed frivolous. And if the person who had made the complaint was speaking to the media, they would be fined the $100 fee they had to pay for making the complaint. The accountability and transparency, I just want to make sure I understand this. The accountability and transparency committee passed a piece of policy that states that if anyone makes a complaint against a a city councilor. Correct. Like anyone from the public makes a complaint. One, yes. Should the media find out about the complaint, it would be dismissed because the media found out about it? Correct. So the exposure, it's like basically saying you can complain, but you better keep your mouth shut. If the media finds out that you're complaining about a city councilor, we dismiss your complaint and we fine you $100. Correct. And they passed that. Correct. On the Transparency and Accountability Committee. Correct. And so I uh, wrote a scathing piece about it. I noted that one of the concerns that councilors had was they felt that there were forces that were just out to get them and people were going to abuse the integrity commissioner to get at them. And they felt that they were being punished by trial by media. So they were trying to prevent trial by media. But I noted to them that the result would be me as a journalist, when somebody comes to me with an accusation against a counselor, I would always say, you got to put your name to this unless you're vulnerable. 
But now they're vulnerable because if the city finds out that they've talked to me, they will be fined $100. So I note to the, the absurdity of it because it forces me as a journalist to protect that person from the city, which means the city is le- the counselors are less well served because they don't know who's making the claims. Right. They're putting you in a position as a journalist that you, you basically must offer confidentiality to any source, uh, whereas previously you would have required their identity. Yeah. And so what ended up happening was there was a huge uproar about the uh, policy. The Spectator ran an editorial and Councillor Ferguson took this very personally and was very angry at me. For. Okay. Well, we're gonna we're gonna you know after after you tell me this, we're gonna ask uh, Councilor Ferguson if he wants to come and, and absolutely and give me his side of this. But uh, but a lot of this has to do with what happened between Councilor Ferguson and yourself. Yeah. So we'll go. We'll skip forward. There's a lot of tension, and I keep going after the accountability transparency. So you got this city councilor who feels that you as a journalist are out to get him. Yes. And I guess as a like as a lone wolf, independent crowdsource, like you don't have. It's not like you're there with the institutional brand of a CBC journalist, of a Hamilton Spectator journalist. You know, there's this idea. Uh, you know. I, I could see you being characterized as, you know, uh, your legitimacy being absolutely questioned. And uh, I don't mind it being questioned because I should be earning my legitimacy by my work. And I learned, earned that legitimacy by part of my work is I broadcast the entire meeting. I don't select parts of the day and not give everybody the full context. And I think that that's a great public service because it enables others to also and analyze what's occurring at City Hall. And how do you work at City Hall? Do you have an office outside of City Hall where you recognize as, as formerly as a journalist with, with press access to City Hall? Yeah, so um, I, there was a media room, a large room that was common space for all the media. When I arrived, nobody was using the room. The entire time that I was there, for the first bit, nobody was using the room. At maximum, I took up 40% of the space when I would be doing a podcast with four, with three council guests. Most of the time, I'd be at approximately 33% of the space. The rest of it would be empty. And I stored extra equipment in the media room. For example, if there was a press conference called at the last second, they would do it out in the hallway. Yeah. Well, I would have a microphone stand so I could have a microphone stand and a large, long internet cable to broadcast it live. And strength in numbers, give me a sense. Was this you and other colleagues from various news organizations or like would it often be – What was the scene? It it grew. So when I originally came in, uh, we went one month without any other journalist at any of the committee meetings or council. I remember that month and being, you know, I understood that there was a lot of pressures and a lot of other news. The Spectator had a full-time municipal affairs reporter. He started coming to the meetings more often. I think that that was a result of, as I'm bringing up all this interesting stuff at the meetings, I was digging and people were realizing the public was getting more engaged and saying, we want more coverage. You know, it's sort of that chicken or egg, which comes first. Yeah. And CBC started coming. CH started coming. Uh, Hamilton Community News, which is the Toronto Star Weeklies in the or Tour Star Weeklies came. And you would have some days where there'd be six or seven journalists at committee. And it was great because people are getting more coverage. People are getting more engaged. But I was the only one using the media room. Live broadcast gear, you don't get to put it in a backpack. Yeah. Okay, so that, that that sets up the scene here and uh, the the tensions between you and uh, and Councillor Ferguson. It wasn't just Councillor Ferguson; he happened to be the one that escalated it the most. But the city clerk was often complaining about privacy that I was violating the privacy of the city clerks by having a video stream that included them, and they're in the center of the council chamber during public meetings. Right. And they took great objection to the fact that the camera was capturing what was going on 
more than just necessarily the speaker. It's interesting because I think in any workplace, if you're not used to having a camera around and suddenly there's somebody there who's broadcasting your image all the time, you would consider your privacy being invaded. But this is City Hall. Yeah, it's a public meeting. These are the most public meetings. And one of the most absurd things about it is that one of the habits that they have is they'll turn off their microphones whenever decorum's lost or they want to say something but they don't want a recording of it or they don't want it on the city stream. They turn off their microphones. Well, I always keep a microphone on my camera at the ready and I press a button to turn it on. You got a shotgun pointed at their mouth. Yeah. And so people would capture exactly what was occurring. Uh, when they decided to lose decorum, that was at home. And I would, especially on days where I was annoyed, and it's like, guys, get this meeting done. I've got more work to do. I would tweet, council losing decorum again, listen live on the public record. Right, which I'm sure would give, give you an influx of audience, just the idea of, of council losing its decorum. It's probably more interesting to a lot of people than, than council getting stuff done. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think it lost its effect over time, though. Because it was <laughs> too frequent an occurrence? Yeah, it was frequent. Okay. Um, so there was a lot of tension about that. The other tension was that the full videos went up, never edited. I yeah. only edited video once, and the reason I edited it was this clerk was handing out a confidential report that included information about a victim of sexual harassment. It was not meant to be handed, seen on the camera. They were just about to go in closed session. I went back into that video and I blurred out that sheet. But the day of the incident, we're in February 2014. Uh, Councillor Ferguson is widely considered to be running for mayor. One of the strategies that the clerks had set up of trying to foil me was to hold two important meetings at the same time. Uh-huh. And I tweeted that the new Accountability and Transparency Committee, because they had disbanded Accountability and Transparency, governance was holding their meeting at the same time as another meeting. Fail. Yeah. Councillor Ferguson saw this tweet, was quite upset about this tweet. He got up in the middle of a council meeting, it came over and stood over me. And I was sitting on a stool with my camera and he was towering right over me. Uh, within the culture of Hamilton City Hall, this was not unusual conduct. Uh, and what do you mean by that? What is what is the culture of Hamilton City Hall? Uh, so we have a serious culture problem of uh, intimidation and bullying. Fifty percent of staff say that they're afraid of reporting wrongdoing out of fear of retaliation. That was this a, is a, some survey that was yeah. Uh, it was a survey conducted by the city manager's office yeah. in 2013. Um, there have been followed up surveys, but they have not been released to the public. Twenty five percent of staff say that they're pressured to compromise their values and ethics. 60%, uh, almost 60% of staff said in that survey that the code of conduct is not properly applied, nor is it evenly applied. So, and I see it quite a bit. I see a lot of staff that operate under a lot of fear. The incident itself occurred on Pink Shirt Day, 2014. Pink Shirt Day is an anti-bullying day? Yes. I didn't know that. Okay. Yes. All right, well, let's talk about what happened to you. He's, so, so he's looming over you? He's like, looming wh- over me, and he's letting make? me know to stop talking about the Accountability and Transparency Committee, stop talking about Accountability and Transparency. He's saying that, or that's what you take from his posture? No, that's what he's saying. He's right oh. over me saying it. And and you have this on camera? No. Unfortunately, at the time, because he had me boxed away from my soundboard, you just have the audio feed of the council meeting, not my shotgun. Uh-huh. The shotgun mic was never on unless they turned off their microphones. Right, I see. And so he's over me. Um, he had warned me that if I continued to talk about accountability and transparency, there would be consequences. And eventually the chair of the meeting has to stop the meeting, call it to order. It's important that the public understand that both of them now are on a path um, 
Excuse me, gentlemen. Order. Sorry. Deputy Mayor, appreciate that. As soon as he sat down, I let him know. I said on Twitter, I will keep talking about it. all I ask for is good governance, good, accountable governance. Fast forward uh, approximately three hours. Uh, council had gone into closed session over a very contentious issue, a stadium lease for the local CFL team. It was a close vote inside the council chamber, uh, nine to seven. Uh, Councilor Ferguson was on the losing side of the vote. So I was setting up for the press conference. The city's director of communications comes in and says to me, he says, we've got to move the press conference out of the conference room. We're going to have it in the private boardroom of the city manager. They've never done this before. I said, okay, that works. Uh, let me grab my gear. It meant I wasn't going to broadcast it live, but by that point I could see nobody was really still awake. You know, it's 1030 at night. I'm standing there waiting. Councillor Ferguson came storming out of the councillor's area. He was quite agitated. Uh, he turned to me and he said, get the fuck out of here now, very aggressively. I was paused because I was like, whoa. And before I even had a chance to figure out how I was responding, he lunged at me, took full grip of my left upper arm, and we were both going to the floor. Uh -huh. uh, his center of mass was on me. And I could feel it on me and that the momentum had me going to the floor. And I was able to use my tripod to stabilize myself to prevent myself from falling to the floor. Uh, Councillor Ferguson continued to tighten his grip, uh, continued to very angrily yell at me, tell me that I wasn't welcome there, that I shouldn't have been there, that I was eavesdropping. I was yelling very loudly for him to let me go. I was saying, Councillor, you can't do this. Councillor, let me go. Counselor, you can't do this. And I was very loud. I wanted to make sure everybody in there, and there was approximately 30 people in this foyer, could see that I was not pushing back whatsoever. Eventually, one of the counselors, Jason Farr, who's a very big guy, came in between, ripped off uh, Counselor Ferguson's grip of me, and separated Counselor Ferguson from me, protecting me from Counselor Ferguson. I couldn't see because of my camera blocking, but I could see that Councillor Ferguson was leaned back with the other arm, and I was concerned that he was going to try to sucker punch me. Again, I'm glad the camera was there because the camera was between right beside my face. His Councillor Ferguson is being pulled away. I remember him saying, I showed you to me. And that was a moment where I finally lost a little bit of my cool. And, you know, it was very humiliating to be humiliated like that in front of so many people, especially because... Uh, of my background. I'm from a very uh, poor class foster kid. You know, you don't like being bullied around like that. And I turned to him and I said, I don't have to take your shit, especially because you're chair of the police board. At that point, people dragged Councillor Ferguson out of the building. And I turned to the city's comm chief and asked him if the press conference was still on. And we had the press conference. I went back to my office. I could see on social media that the Hamilton Spectator was making this a equal the Coleman Ferguson fight. So I posted a very short statement, making sure not to put any information in the statement that would be prejudicial to any investigation that would occur. What was the spectator saying that made it sound like it was an even fight? There had been an incident between Coleman Ferguson, heated words back and forth, and reports that both people pushed each other. So what, what's your understanding? Like, how would you describe it? Were you assaulted? Were you shoved? Were you, were you, were you hit? Like, what, what, what do you think happened to you? It was assault, period. It was unwanted unwarranted contact of a physical nature. It was yeah. manhandling. It was about power. Yeah. I went back. Um, the integrity commissioner says it was three feet. His terms are, I was propelled three feet. Yeah. And I was able to get enough balance. And as soon as I got balance, I stood straight. I put my arms straight to my side 
and made sure that I didn't even have my fists closed. Yeah. So, yeah. And, uh, you know, the next morning I got up and it was a social media firestorm, as it rightfully should be. There should be no violence at a city hall. And uh, I saw people who are close to Councillor Ferguson attacking me for making the news. And poor Lloyd Ferguson, you know, why are you going after the quintessential gentleman? So I, I get that he thought you were recording him and you weren't. If you had been, would that have been okay? Was that an okay place to— Yeah, it's a, it's the public foyer of the legislative chamber. It's exactly where the media is supposed to be to ask questions afterwards. So you would have been well within your rights to have had your recording gear on. Correct. But you didn't have it on. I didn't have it on. Yeah, okay. And you know the deal, and anybody who's a journalist knows you don't run your recording gear all the time because yeah. you only have so much tape. I think what's interesting about this is— you know, we talk a lot about the adversarial relationship that the press should have uh, with government, that it is your job to hold their feet to the fire, hold them accountable. But they work in City Hall. You work in City Hall. This is your workplace. Yeah, it is my workplace. And, and usually that's OK if there's two teams, if there's a bunch of journalists who are on one side of that equation and have a bunch of elected officials and, and bureaucrats on the other. But it, it's like just you. Yeah, it's just me. There's such an power imbalance. And people have often asked, well, geez, this one in a, you wouldn't have been on your own if you were part of a powerful media outlet. Yeah. And I note to them, this would have never happened if the power imbalance was proper. So what happened next? So the next morning, I, uh, Councilor Brad Clark came into the council chambers where I was setting up, you know, said, I see that you're willing to take an apology from him, Mr. Kirkopoulos. And I have written the apology for Councillor Ferguson. Why would they write the apology for him? I would say that in his role as city director of communications, it would be proper of the director of communications to, to write Ferguson's uh, to give him the outline. Okay, but you know when I get into how upset he was and angry he was about having to apologize, I very much doubt that Councillor Ferguson would have written an apology. But it's completely appropriate for the director of communications of a large corporation, $1.5 billion corporation, to go to a director and say, here's what you need to do. Right. Uh, so, yeah, we went into Councillor uh, Ferguson's office. He uh, read the apology uh, rather begrudgingly off of the computer screen. So this was not a public apology? This was going to be the public apology. Okay. You know, I said, okay, you're going to need to read that at council. And he said, no fucking way. I'm not reading it at council. Uh, council's not broadcast on cable 14. It gets more attention. I said, okay, read the apology at committee today. That's fine. He so was, you're negotiating his public apology. I'll publicly apologize to you, but not on television. Correct. Okay. You know, and I want to get myself out of this situation as much as possible because I'm aware that the city clerks are looking to punish me under the zero tolerance for, for violence policy for verbal assault. Because you swore. Yes. Uh -huh. Um so the zero tolerance for violence policy is very clear. Zero it's tolerance. right in the tele. It's zero tolerance, and it's clear. In an incident where there's two parties, it doesn't matter. If both parties are involved, both are punished. Okay, so we're at the point of the story where he's going to read this public apology. Yeah. So he does read the public apology. I go out. You know, the media wants to scrum, and I say, you know, I've accepted his apology. Well, do you consider the matter closed is the question. I say, as it relates to me personally, it is close. As it relates to city policy, that's not my area. Um, the media clips that to Coleman declared the matter closed. Right. Meanwhile, they have a zero tolerance for violence policy. He's violated that. that that's not yeah. really up to you whether or not they proceed Correct. with and that. And he's also chair of the police services board. Uh -huh. You can't have the chair of the police services board 
acting in this way. It's very clear that they're supposed to be above reproach, yeah. held to a higher standard. Well, what you're saying is I accept the apology. I'm not pressing charges. I'm not going for any civil kind of claim or anything like that. Correct. I, that, that, okay. I want to get back to doing my job yeah. and as quickly as possible because there are a lot of forces that I've made enemies by doing my job, just by showing up at these meetings. Yeah. And I'm not looking to give them any excuse to come at me. And I want to focus because one of the things I've always kept in mind is that my credibility is based upon my work and the story is the council meeting, not all the drama that happens behind the scenes related to my just being there. Right. I mean, that's sort of what an aspect of this that is troubling, I think, for a journalist is the extent to which you're now involved in a news story. You are now a character in a conflict with a, with a city councilor, which is not what you're there to do. Correct. I got back to work. I streamed that meeting and I did the best I could just to get back to work. That afternoon, I became aware. I have a few staff members who are very big supporters of what I do and they'll give me a heads up with some of the stuff that's happening behind the scenes. It's how I dodge a lot of the traps that are set. And they had said that their city policy was the video of the incident, their security tape, because it's in the public foyer, is to be deleted. So I sent an email to the city solicitor in which I asked that the city solicitor please secure the security footage, keep it in a safe place, pending the outcome of any possible uh, possible investigations or procedures. I wish to have my interests protected. Yeah. And I was very intentional. I sent it to the city solicitor because I knew the city solicitor, as a member of the bar, is required to preserve neutral evidence and required to protect the interests of the corporation, of the city of Hamilton. The city manager comes back a week later and says, well, the policy says all visitors and staff, this policy applies to all visitors and staff in city facilities. Counselors are technically not visitors and they're technically not staff. Therefore, council votes that the zero tolerance for violence policy does not apply to the 15 counselors and mayor. So city hall has a policy that visitors and staff, there's a zero tolerance for violence policy. And they later ruled after a city councilor behaved in a violent manner that it applies to the public, it applies to journalists, it applies to city hall staff. It doesn't apply to the mayor and the or, council or to or to city council itself. Correct. Okay. They're governed by a separate code of conduct, uh-huh. which is more vague in its language uh-huh. and subject to the integrity commissioner. The integrity commissioner reports to the Accountability and Transparency Committee, which has now been disbanded, of which Councillor Ferguson is the chair. Joey. So the integrity commissioner is handed the file. Two citizens file formal complaints. You have to pay $100 to complain to the integrity commissioner and a sworn affidavit. The integrity commissioner is supposed to investigate within 60 days. He takes nine months. Uh-huh. The integrity commissioner's investigation was involved speaking to Councillor Ferguson. Councillor Ferguson stated that I was engaged in eavesdropping, the willful electronic interception of communications. Uh-huh. So the integrity commissioner looks into me, starts interviewing people about me. At no point does he talk to me. Uh-huh. At no point does he talk to the witnesses to the incident. The integrity commissioner's report comes out. And under the policy, the report is supposed to come out. But first parties involved are supposed to have the opportunity to respond. And it's supposed to come out a week before council. It came out 24 hours before and was added to the council agenda at 5 p.m. on the Wednesday. The report's finding were that, yes, Councillor Ferguson had grabbed me, but that the integrity commissioner was concerned that I had a nefarious agenda because I had asked for the video to be preserved. And had the video not been preserved, 
the integrity commissioner would never have had to view it. And city policy is that the video is supposed to be destroyed because under city policy, there had been no wrongdoing because there was no zero tolerance for violence policy that applied here. So you had a nefarious agenda. Yes. So the report came out. Two councillors voted against it. The rest of the council said it was a great report. And so the conclusions were that because Councillor Ferguson said he had had a long and contentious day, he shouldn't have grabbed me. But because he had had a long and contentious day, it was okay. Did he say that, though, Joey? Did yeah, he say that it was I, okay because he had a long was – was that by way of excuse or explanation? Was he sort of saying, I'm sorry I did this. I'd had a long and contentious day. Or was he saying that uh, it's okay that I did it because I had a long and contentious so day? So let me read exactly the statement. Notwithstanding that it was a long and contentious day of meetings from 8.20 a.m. until 10.45 p.m., Councillor Ferguson should not have made physical contact with Mr. Coleman. And as a result, Councillor Ferguson is violation of sections 45A and B of the Code of Conduct. There will be no sanction, though. Okay. So no consequences for him. What were the consequences for you? And I mean not just the formal consequences, but so, what was work like for you after this well, happened? Well, that day when the report was released, the city clerk walked the council chambers until five minutes before the meeting and put up a rope. And the deputy city clerk came to me and said, uh, Mr. Coleman, has you been found to be eavesdropping on private conversations? You're not allowed to set up your gear prior to the meeting. And you're not allowed to set up your gear in a way that's disruptive to the meeting. Councillor Ferguson goes to the media and says, you know, he's disappointed. The integrity commissioner was supposed to put in there very clearly it was not assault. So Earl Bassey, the integrity commissioner, then calls the media and says it was an assault and gives an interview. He's asked by a reporter, well, why didn't you interview Coleman? Well, you know, uh, I had a gut feeling about this and uh, I don't know what I would have asked him. And makes all kinds of insinuations. When you read this report, and I encourage everyone to read it as an example of just how bad this report is, there's all these insinuations in there that I was colluding with people, that I was, you know, that the two people who filed complaints, the private citizens, were colluding with me, and I was behind this all. The Ontario Ombudsman read the report and could see that this was turning into a complete mess. The Ombudsman's office had been involved before with some of the attempts by City Hall to block me from meetings. And he took to Twitter uh -huh. and he marked up the report and put pictures of his review of the report. And he said, I've read it. It wouldn't even pass as a grade three paper. I'm going to mark it as if it was a grade three paper. He put a big F. He just tore the report apart. And he said, I will say that it has one redeeming quality. It's a perfect example of how not to write a report. Okay, but what does this all have to do with the price of bread? I mean, you're a journalist whose job is to cover City so, Hall in Hamilton. What it has to do with the price of bread is that we've had a counselor who's chaired the police board commit an act of physical violence against the journalist because yeah. he was upset that the journalist was covering the Accountability and Transparency Committee and he did not like my editorial views. In a democracy, discourse never is allowed to become physical. It doesn't matter if I'm a quack or if I'm wearing a suit and I'm Peter Mansbridge. In a democracy, you are allowed to have civic discourse. You are not allowed to have violence. And we have a process that we taxpayers are paying for. It's a power. The integrity commissioner is not just some random individual. The integrity commissioner enjoys the power of subpoena under the law. The powers of the Public Inquiries Act are available to the integrity commissioner. The integrity commissioner is allowed in his report to say whatever he wants and has full civil immunity because of those powers. It's presumed 
that the integrity commissioner will do a thorough report. In this case, we've had a public official with subpoena power Mm -hmm. who says this is supposedly a great investigation who only interviews the person accused of wrongdoing, refuses to interview the victim, refuses to interview the two witnesses, and complains that he had to view videotape, neutral evidence. How does this impinge your ability to just show up for work the next day? What happened next? So they said, I can't set up for meetings in advance, which meant uh, I couldn't set up. And it takes about 20 to 25 minutes to set up all the cables and everything to broadcast live. So your business as a journalist is to do live streaming, and they made it technically impossible for you to do live streaming. Correct. And it made it impossible for me to record the entire meeting. Yeah. What about your workspace there in the media room? Uh, The media room was shut down because they were going to be bringing in cubicles. Uh, The cubicles took six months to arrive. Originally, they were delayed by a snowstorm, and it must have been one heck of a snowstorm. And now the policy in the room is that you're not allowed to leave anything unattended in the room. Right. So if I go to the washroom, I have to pack up my laptop and bring it with me. On May 20th, uh, city council went into closed session for what was titled security session for council. And the city clerk alleges that I was making unauthorized use of the city website. So the city website, acceptable use, says you're not allowed to download agendas. You're not allowed to publish, to republish material from the city's website. And you're not even allowed to link to the city website without written permission. It was linking on Twitter. Hey, by the way, the report on this is now available. Read it here. And, and they came after you for that? Yeah. And so what happened on May 20th is council had a closed session meeting. They refused to provide me any information about it, any evidence. Uh-huh. I'm not allowed to speak to it or submit any evidence in my own defense. And from that, it was decided that I would no longer be allowed to use the city network at City Hall, the hardwire, which is what you need to stream. You know, the worst thing here isn't just the impediments to doing your job, but the accusation that you're hacking is like, you know, that's impugning your reputation. And, yeah, and it's yeah. this, I, it's it's ridiculous. You know, I've been out of City Hall for a while because I just couldn't do my job and the harassment had grown too deep uh, and I was planning to move on. I had reached a point where it was time to move on and just accept that there was nothing more I could do. This had just got to the point where it took such a toll on my physical and mental health. But people were pretty clear and they were like, no, Joey, we we'll want you back. And the moment they people were, being your supporters, the people support, who even on just you. general public. And, you know, Brad Clark came forth, a former city councilor, former Harris cabinet minister. The old Mike Harris government here in Ontario. Yeah. Okay. And he blew the whistle. Where he irritated people is he brought a camera into public meetings. I say it with a smirk because I find it so comical that civil servants or elected officials would be offended by someone wanting to tape a public meeting. You're in the city council chambers. Nothing in the city council chambers is private unless you go in camera. So be prepared. What have the Hamilton Press had to say about all this? So the Hamilton Spectators wrote two editorials on this matter. But here's the Hamilton Spectator editorial that came 48 hours after Brad Clark came out and said what your listeners have heard. This is the Saturday editorial. This is the editorial board, the most important this editorial. This is the paper itself speaking. Yeah. This is the Hamilton Spectator, which and is owned by the Toronto Star. Yeah. It's, it's entitled, Time for the Shove to Fade into Memory. <laughs> well, well, Time for the Shove. So they're instructing their readers to forget about the fact that you were shoved by, by, this, correct, by Councilor Ferguson. That a bad thing had happened. We still don't have the truth. The security video 
is presently being appealed yeah. to avoid to prevent its release. Hey, um, guys, let's get over it. Move on. Yeah. You think a lot about this. What were they thinking? And you just can't get it. And I don't understand it. And maybe it was just that they're like, this is such a fiasco, such a distraction. I agree. I'd love to get back to work. And yeah. that's what I kept saying because the mayor and I have had some back and forths on Twitter. Um, the mayor has referred to me as Fox News, you know, saying fair and balanced in quotation marks. Um, so the mayor's taking swipes at you. Yeah. Yeah. And I've said, all I'm asking is I want to go back to work as it was before this incident. So what you're saying is that you're not done. You're going to come back and cover some Yeah, I'm going to figure out a way to do it. You know, I should not allow myself to be intimidated and pushed out. It's going to be a lot harder. I think it's going to be a lot tougher to get sustainable. And I was close to sustainability. The Ontario Ombudsman has oversight over municipalities starting January 1st, which means if this behavior continues... I have the right to appeal to an independent body that will actually do a proper investigation. I will continue to record these How many meetings. viewers do you get for a live-streamed city council meeting anyhow in Hamilton? Uh, it's not how many I get live. It's how many people watch the replays that matter. Yeah, you're creating an archive. You're creating I'm creating a an archive. A council meeting live will, if it's just a regular boring council meeting, you know, the type of thing that you rather watch paint dry on the wall, 50 people yeah. watching. It once peaked at 41,000 unique viewers when it was high drama. Uh, usually a council meeting will be viewed by over a thousand unique viewers within the first 24 hours. Right. Yeah. They are, people use your service. People fund your service. Actually, one, it's ironic. One of the biggest users of my service are the very people who are trying to shut it down. Yeah. I cannot count the number of times a city councilor has come over and gone, you know, uh, how do I link to that part of the meeting? Right. Somebody's, it's important for their work to be able to reference parts of well, uh, what other people, people said. accuse them of crazy things. Yeah. Yeah. They can actually point And they to can it. go back. And I, I find it funny because um, they can point to situations where they've said something odd and people have jumped on it, Yeah, but they can point to situations where people have accused them of something and the record's there. I'm going to go back and just work as hard as I can. I know that the city will not be granting me back media access, so I may be sitting up in the gallery and bringing power packs to keep myself going, Uh huh. but it's important. Uh, it's important that people get civically engaged. It's important to rebuild local journalism. Jesse, one of the moments in my journalism career where I really started to think, wow, the collapse of local journalism is not just a problem. It's a crisis. Both you and I have worked for McLean's. It's a great place to start off at. I got to go to Queens Park quite a bit because I was covering education and I, you know, go scrum the education minister or sorry, the minister of higher ed and the pictures of the press gallery. And you look back at these pictures when the gallery was huge and they'd be up on the front doorstep. And I remember looking at it and seeing the Woodstock Sentinel, the North Bay Nugget. Uh -huh. The Sarnia Observer, the Hamilton Spectator used to have a reporter at Queen's Park. Uh -huh. And I said, the problem is, is that none of these local outlets are sending anybody to provincial or federal. Yeah. And I want to be able to build the public record to eventually get there. I think the crisis in journalism needs to be solved from many angles, but local is the foundation. Well, I hope you get there. And I mean, I, you know, I've been upfront about this from the start, uh, the start of this podcast and beforehand. I'm, I'm a supporter of yours. I've supported you financially and told other people to do so. I think that the reason why outside of Hamilton, you've been an interesting figure is that there was this very promising model. All you need is one guy. And maybe you've got somebody who is as fervent and as committed and maybe as completist and obsessive and compulsive as you are about covering the stuff that a lot of other journalists would not be so completely. 
completist about. Maybe this is a model that could scale to all the small communities around Canada. When I was your guest in Hamilton for that live broadcast, it was just interesting to see you operate in Hamilton because everybody knew your name. You were like just an absolute resource of information. Every corner, every person we stopped in a pub, you're like, oh, that's the counselor from this. And he's, isn't that interesting? He's having dinner with this person. You were like the king of Kensington in Hamilton. And then I find out that you were a ward of the city of Hamilton, that you are, you're Hamilton's boy. And it got to me on a personal level when I heard that you had been booted out of city hall. It felt like a, like something that's just not right. I think that if the power imbalance was not what it was, this would have never occurred. We need more people doing what I'm doing. It's hard work. Even if I don't succeed, I hope people learn because we've got to fix journalism. We all have to support each other because for too long and too many times, and we just saw it with the previous federal government, journalists lack a united front. And those who do not like sunlight being shone into dark places are able to divide and conquer us. Yeah, we got to stand up for each other. Yes. That was your Canada Land Show. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me always at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read them all. I respond when I can. I am on Twitter at Jesse Brown, and this show's website is canadalandshow.com. That's where you can go to sign up for Not Sorry, our weekly newsletter. That'll make sure you don't miss anything we do on any of the podcasts or on the news site. We'll send you a fresh newsletter every Friday. The crowdfunding site is at patreon.com slash canadaland. I make this show with Katie Jensen. The next episode of Canada Land Commons will be up on Tuesday, and the next episode of Shortcuts will be up on Thursday. If you like this show, please support it. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.